the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. This is Difference Makers. Welcome. My name is Mike Lee, Director of Local Ministries for True Talk 800, 93.9 KPDQ, AM 860, The Answer, KPAM, La Patrona 1640, 93.1 El Rey, and 104.1 The Fish. And I'd love to talk with you about getting more people back to your church, sharing about your ministry through our free online church directory and our church service live stream directory, expanding your ministry or business beyond your walls, establishing yourself as an authority in your field, and becoming more known through radio, building awareness of your company or outreach by hosting our events at your location at no risk to you, Marketing your message or brand directly to your target audience through the powerful online tools of Salem Surround. And most importantly, if your ministry leader or pastor could use a phone call, a word of encouragement, a cup of coffee, or a connection to others, please email me at mikelee at kpdq.com. That's M-I-K-E-L-E-E at kpdq.com. You may remember our very special guest, Lisa Ferrari Harwood, who is the Director of Community Outreach for True Life Fellowship in Beaverton. And this probably has to be the longest gap I've ever had between guests. So welcome back, Lisa. How are you today? Very good, Mike. Thank you so much for having me again. I I appreciate the time and, and the effort you put into your program. Well, I love what I do especially because I get to point toward people like yourself who are doing great things in the community. So first of all, let's catch up on True Life Fellowship. How are things going in Beaverton? You were working with food outreach to the best of my memory, and I'm sure that the pandemic changed things for the game, hasn't it? Yes, so much. So I've been working as an Oregon Food Bank partner agency pantry for about 15 years now, and things did change substantially. When COVID hit, two weeks into the shutdown in March of 2020, we were serving 1,800 people through various different organizations and direct, including schools and care homes that needed food but did not have access. So Oregon Food Bank got behind their partners very quickly and made sure that we not only had the amount of food we had, but that the FEMA grants were available And we were able to support that and sustain that for quite a while through that and pouring money back into local grocery stores that were small family owned, like Grocery Outlet on 185th in Beaverton. That family that owns that is amazing. And they were able to offer us discounts and they were able to provide that food in a very timely manner so that we were able to front load and provide so many nutritious things that people did not have access to because of, at the time, COVID, and then eventually what led to a lot of supply chain shortage. So let's give credit where it's due, Lisa. Who stepped up besides Grocery Outlet to really adjust and help you out at True Life Fellowship? Oregon Food Bank played a substantial part in that, and then my amazing infrastructure of volunteers that provided the vehicles 
and building a new cabinet to be able to store all this food in that we needed. And my church pastors, obviously, who are always 100% behind everything we do. And they just have taken that absolutely to go into where the need is the greatest and to address it. And so all of those people really played such a huge part in the success of what we did. You're doing such a wonderful job in the Beaverton vicinity. So if listeners from other cities and towns are wanting to not reinvent the wheel, but glean from your experience, do you have any great tips? You know, Oregon Food Bank falls under the umbrella of Feeding America, and they really have some of the best agencies around. And they provide so many tools, including startup grants. There is also access through 211 Community Action for food resources, but so many others. We've got other amazing organizations, uh, such as Street Roots, that also is accessible. And they will refer people to things such as like PDX Diaper Bank, which is where there is a lot of gap uh, that people are looking for when they walk in to get food. They oftentimes are looking for diapers for their children that are in daycare because without diapers, there's no daycare. So, and that again, it can be quite expensive for someone who's fallen under the poverty line. So those are other resources that can be accessed through at least the Portland metro area, if not through Oregon, it's the whole state of Oregon. Lisa, I've heard stories that baby formula is very short on supply because there was an issue at one of the plants that was providing it, among other problems. So is that still true? And if you had greatest needs right now, where would those shortages lie? It is currently true. It's not as bad as it had initially been broadcast or reported to people. I haven't had a huge need where I'm at, but what happens in my community, in my pantry, if there is a mom who has extra formula or it's something maybe her child is aged out on and obviously it's not expired, they exchange that in my pantry community. And I love that coming together and the fact that now that we're back in the building, because for quite a while, people were still, they were staying in their cars and we were serving their hot breakfast curbside to them while they were waiting there for their food. But now that they're back together, they're able to make those exchanges and, and do that kind of thing. And I love to see the community grow and thrive through that. If I was going to see there was one thing we need, although we do food, again, people often, because we are a safe place and we are their first stop for many things that they need, especially resources. And because I have embedded myself into this community and I know where to go, even if I don't have access to things, um, I can often refer people. But a lot of times the the things that um, provide dignity to women, their, uh, their products that they need, um, there is always the need for just the general hygiene items, even in amongst the homeless community, if someone can at least have those basic necessities, then they can still be in society and not experience some of the issues that they might experience otherwise without those items. So those are always things that uh, we as food pantries are looking for, or at least would love if there was some sort of replica of of something like PDX Diaper Bank that was more of like a hygiene bank for people that always had a supply of those necessities. 
As someone whose outreach is on the front lines of society today, Lisa, what's your perspective on the homeless situation? What have you seen? Uh, Portland specifically, I can speak to that, obviously, because I live here. And every year, uh, DHS and Department of Human Development, they are they conduct an interview um, and a survey, a census of types. It's called um, Point in Time. And they do that the third week of every January. And many people might have seen that or followed that. So there's currently in the Portland metro area, there's 6,633 people living without homes. And that being said, there obviously has to be some workarounds in regards to the type of food that we can provide for those people that may not have access to storage, refrigeration, or cooking. So that sometimes presents challenges, but we always find a way around that and make that work. Uh, that being said as well, because that amount of people are living without a home, uh, Portland reported that every month they are collecting some 800,000 pounds of trash off of our freeways, our street, public streets, and our parks. So that is something that really, truly needs to be addressed, not just for the sake of the city and what that means for the Portland and the metro areas, but for these people that are dealing with the struggles that comes with being houseless and living outside. And we know that many times the reason that people are in that situation is because there is some mental illness or addiction happening in their lives. It's a moment in time where they are broken and they need to be seen and heard. And so we address homelessness with as much dignity and pride as we can in what we do if that was our mother, father, son, or daughter. Lisa, thanks so much for your help with the homeless. My wife helped out with the pit count for the point in time numbers that we try to go through and figure out where all these people are coming from that end up in homeless situations. And it doesn't seem that there's one easy answer that will encompass all of them and magically solve our problems. So what do you think that we ought to be doing more of? There's so much to tackle that it's often difficult to figure out where to start. You know, there are so many different resources. And the one that was placed in my care very early on 15 years ago was the food component, the the food insecurities. And whether that's in our local schools, because Beaver, the city of Beaverton also has somewhere in, I believe the last count, about 2,000 students. And we're talking children that are between elementary school, so 10 and 18 years old, that are also without addresses. And their situations could look like anything from living with a relative to sleeping on a friend's sofa to living in a car. So when we started addressing food, we also addressed what the cause and effect would be on the children that were experiencing that. So my, again, my charge is food and I've partnered with other organizations that do so many other things. So it really just takes everybody out there putting their best foot forward to not enable, but to engage and to, again, let people realize that they are seen and heard so that they can get the help they need, whatever that might look like, and where they're at that moment in time to address what is needed so that they can have that that future thought and to look 
to the future with hope instead of the hopelessness that often comes with the situation that someone might be in that's homeless. Are any of the outreaches that you work with looking for volunteers, if someone's listening and feels like they've got time and heart and effort to contribute to your cause? Absolutely. So I work with an amazing organization uh, run by my friend Crystal um, Delante, and she is based in the Lentz Park area. Um, she is running an organization called PDX Saints Love in the Streets. And they are always looking for people. They have different areas they meet in on Mondays other than Lentz Park that can be found at their website or on social media. They're great at keeping up on that so that they can provide showers. They do assistance to try to get IDs and birth certificates to get people PO boxes so they can apply for jobs and have an address. They will walk out on the trails through that area on Wednesdays to offer food to people that can't make it out of their current encampments because of physical limitations. And then we, along with them on the last Friday of the month, we meet up with that organization at Lentz Park in the Pickles, Portland Pickles Stadium area to serve food. So the food here is prepped in our commercial kitchen and we serve about 100 people on those Fridays, rain or shine, holiday or not holiday. It is just the date that we chose. And again, the same with the pantry. Um, hunger doesn't know a holiday and neither does homelessness. And so we take that very seriously and we are out there with them the last Friday of the month. Uh, recently, I was getting my hair cut and I have to tell you the story because it really just warms my heart. And in talking to my stylist, there was a gentleman in the chair next to me who happens to be the loss, one of the loss prevention managers at the Target Cascade um, location. And his name is Ryan. And he, as we began to talk about what he did and what I did, he just said they would love to come out and partner with us. So he brought a few people out from the store and a couple other stores and served with us the last Friday of May, I believe it was. And I asked him at one point, um, I said, do you guys feel at home here in this, in this environment, in this, um, in this situation? And they said, you know, it's, it's very familiar, but what we appreciate is that now we get to be the good guys instead of the people that are yelled at and that have to address some of the issues we get to offer these people food and the gratitude and the emotion that's involved in that was something that really was touching to them as an organization they are already handing out care packages to people that come into the store and ask to help their loss prevention, but also again, to provide dignity to people. So they're not put in a position to have to steal something as simple as toothpaste or band-aids or a fresh pair of socks. So I, I just love the fact that there is so much passion that is ignited through being able to offer food and how everyone comes together, whether it's PDX Saints, whether it's Target who wants to get involved, whether it's the local elementary schools that I serve, I serve too, along with helping to provide and supplement food to Life Change Center, which is run by the Union Gospel folks out here in Beaverton. It is a women's and children's addiction recovery in-home center. 
So when we all come together and and all the different pieces of the puzzle that we're able to provide, it just, it really adds so much hope, not just to us, but to the people we come in contact with. God wires us all differently and gives us different natural gifts. But Lisa, you, my friend, are a doer. So thank you so much for all that you're doing in the community. And I'll make sure to leave these websites posted to the Difference Makers page at truetalk800.com, which would include pdxsaintslove.org, tlfchurch.com for True Life Fellowship. And Lisa's got a new exciting project going on. It's called The Washing Machine Project. More information is listed at the website, thewashingmachineproject.org, and we'll hear more about that from Lisa Ferrari Harwood next on Difference Makers. Welcome back to Difference Makers. My name is Mike Lee, and Lisa Ferrari Harwood is not only the Director of Community Outreach for True Life Fellowship in Beaverton, helping out so many people in different outreaches over the years, but she is also serving in inside sales for Allied Electronics, a part of the RS Group. So can you tell us about your job, Lisa, and your role between Allied Electronics and RS Group and what you're doing with the Washing Machine Project? Right. Yeah, I would love to. Um, The great part about what I do is that I need to finance it somehow, whether it's, you know, paying my own personal bills or whether we're taking some of that money that we make and being able to put it into the ministry. So... I have actually been in the electronics distribution or manufacture or uh, electronic representative field for over 30 years. And I've been with Allied Electronics, which is now part of RS Group, for 13 of those years here in Oregon. And recently, as a global company who's publicly traded um, on the London Stock Exchange, uh, many companies are being asked to provide... ESG initiatives and let people know what the action plans are. So ESG is the environmental, social, and governance part of companies where they're trying to be better and they're trying to create a better world for people and not just be in business. So Allied Electronics, um, as part of RS Group, is a global omni-channel provider of product and services for designers, builders, and maintainers. We represent more than 700,000 industrial and electronic products, and we're sourced over some 2,500 leading suppliers. Uh, We provide a large range of product and services to over 1.2 million industrial customers with operations in 32 countries. We trade through multi-channels and ship nearly 60,000 parcels a day. So when we go in to talk to one of these manufacturers that we're representing, such as Tektronics or Eaton Cutler Hammer or Honeywell, many times these these vendors and even customers, large customers, when we go in to sell parts and we're signing contracts, they ask us about this ESG plan and what we're doing. So it started in the UK with our, our company, the RS Group, and has bled into the U.S., just recently and probably the last six months. 
my regional manager who has been so graciously behind me and supporting me through this, Karen Fiddler, had recommended me to be part of this group knowing what I do outside of Allied, what I do the 20 hours I'm not working for them, the the eight to five job, and asked me to be part of this committee. And I immediately saw as one of their four initiatives was education and social. And when I started to read what they were supporting, the washing machine project and why, I just as I do, I delved into it because I knew that although these machines were designed by this amazing inventor, uh, Nav, who used to work for Dyson and took that knowledge and really wanted just to support people in refugee camps in war-torn countries, whether it's India, Lebanon, Ukraine, Afghanistan, whatever that might look like. And when I was able to talk with him directly and tell him, hey, in the United States, I know it's this may be a first world problem because we're not dealing with bombs and war, but what we are dealing with is a war on mental illness and addiction. And what that presents to us is homelessness and the, the problems that go with that. And I really felt like the washing machine project, which are a hand crank machine that takes 50% less water and saves time for livelihood and education, that we could take the same equipment and put it in some of our tiny home villages so that even though some of the residents may have access to laundromats or may not, that they would at least have an option to be able to be self-serving and to be able to help them in their situation where they're at. So we are moving forward with that initiative and we'll be piloting a program this August, bringing those machines into Portland. So tell us more about these washing machines created by this former Dyson engineer, if I heard you correctly. Correct. How well do these things work? We're all used to laundromats or having our own washer dryer inside the house or apartment. Right. So it's obviously doesn't look like something we are used to here. Uh, the machines are currently being handmade in the UK. They don't cost much. They cost about 160 US dollars. But what these machines do, they currently are providing some 1,350 people with the ability to wash their clothes. So they're not going to dirty water in a river and beating them on a rock and then having to spend that time maybe a young girl when we're talking about some of these war-torn countries that should be in school. So in the U.S., the way that translates here is, again, where there may be a tiny home village where there's not electricity or facility in the village where they have to travel. And then this machine can actually be in that village. It is hand crank and it it needs 50% less water than normally would be needed. And again, it just provides a better quality of life for people by giving them the dignity of clean clothes. That's massive for people living on the streets. I remember with the various outreaches we worked with over the years, the number one demand was new, clean, dry socks, because that was so rare for so many of the homeless. Absolutely. And you can you imagine of that 800,000 pounds that Portland picks up a month, if that was just reduced a small percentage, 
that funding that is being used to collect the trash could be put back into programs, could be put back into these tiny home villages, could be put back into rebuilding our city. Much better stewardship of the resources that we need to put out there because they wouldn't be simply helping us tread water as much as maybe even moving forward. So with the various outreaches you've worked with over the years, Lisa, what do you see and what suggestions would you have if the mayor or the governor gave you their attention? I think Portland, since they've been dealing with this for several years now and has truly escalated through just the damage that the COVID pandemic has done in our economy and in our local resources, I would say that we would need to start with not separating the them and us, that we are all one community and we're all connected in some way. Again, it's someone's mother, father, brother, sister, and providing that humanity that when there is something that needs to be fixed or cleaned up, that there is a solution, that oftentimes there are sweeps that go through. And although there's lots of notification and other things that go with that, there's not always a solution as to where these people get to go permanently. So to be able to figure that out, but again, as you said earlier, it's not, there's not one solution and there's not an either or. They, there has to be everyone coming together to talk about what little part they can add. And there are so many organizations that have done that already and that are doing that and that are going to do that. But there's also that percentage that starts off on the the right road and the road that they were placed to be put on. And then things like funding happen, or there's other dynamics that happen when you, when you have that element of addiction all in one place and more resources being put toward that. I would also suggest that people, not just, not just our city leaders, we can all be, world changers. And what that looks like is taking the time, just what whatever time you have, whether you have to buy it or you can spare it to get into the local schools, to be mentors, to show kids that there is another way to do things if they've been living in this cycle, to go into the communities in the different towns and cities where there is a, a very high poverty level and to donate your time, donate your service, take the time to be a mentor as many of us have been mentored in what we do and just be that cheering section for that individual and show them that there could be a different way, that there could be a better way while, while meeting them where they're at. Great words of wisdom, Lisa. Thank you for sharing your insights with us. And hopefully we'll just keep chipping away at homelessness to decrease it and maybe even eliminate it, God willing, someday. So keep up the good work with the Washing Machine Project. And I'm really grateful for what you're doing with your company, Allied Electronics, a part of the RS Group and your ESG division. So are there things about what you're doing with this group? that you might suggest that other companies ought to join you? Absolutely. Um, whether it's an ESG plan of action or just getting behind people that have already come up with the components they need for that, I think that 
everybody can make amazing happen for a better world. And that is actually our motto and our slogan for this. And what that looks like to think that it's coming from an electronics company might seem foreign, but we've, again, as a global company that is well-regarded in this industry, I would just recommend that other organizations that have that ability to do that, to get connected locally, maybe to look outside of what a, a larger company would normally look at. You don't need to hire a marketing company to go into your communities and find out the people that are already there to partner with them so that you can get eyes and feet on the street with organizations like PDX Saints, with organizations like the Washing Machine Project, whether it's overseas or here. And again, I think the Washing Machine Project is the perfect example of taking something from a third world country and translating it into our first world situation to try to make those changes. Well, Lisa, I want to send a shout out to you and all of the people working with Allied Electronics, a part of the RS group, and the fact that you're looking beyond simply industry and electronics and the bottom line and profit, but you're really contributing to the community. And I hope that inspires others to do so as well. When we return, can we find out more about the heart behind the effort, Lisa? Can we find out more about you? Please. Yes. Thank you. We're speaking with Lisa Ferrari Harwood, and you can find out more information about these outreaches at the websites. I'll post on truetalk800.com on the Difference Makers page, including thewashingmachineproject.org, tlfchurch.com for True Life Fellowship, and pdxsaintslove.org. More with Lisa Ferrari Harwood next on Difference Makers. You're listening to Difference Makers. My name is Mike Lee, and Lisa Ferrari Harwood has done some wonderful things with the Washington Project as an outreach of the ESG division of Allied Electronics and RS Group. But Lisa, you've also served for years as the director of community outreach for your church in Beaverton, True Life Fellowship. So I thought it might be fun to find out your roots. Where'd you grow up in the first place, Lisa? Yeah, I grew up in Southern California and moved to Oregon in two, year 2000. So how was the adjustment from sunny SoCal to the Pacific Northwest for you? I actually enjoyed it. The quality of life in Southern California at the time for someone in their in their 30s trying to be more established and purchase a home was becoming pretty impossible at the income level that I was at at the time. So moving to Oregon actually gave me that opportunity to do that. Good for you, Lisa. I can relate. After growing up in New York on Long Island in the suburbs, I'm not ashamed to admit we never financially made it. And yet making considerably less money in the Pacific Northwest, the cost of living was so much less that we feel richer. So good for you. I'm glad you were able to make the move up to Oregon from Southern California and did Allied play a big part of that? Was it a job thing as well as a change of life? The electronics industry definitely gave me that vehicle because I was able to come up for a visit from Southern California and do a couple interviews, be offered a job, and be in my car driving up six weeks later. So the electronics industry has definitely been just 
an amazing vehicle and definitely a huge part of my journey for where I'm at today. I've got a couple of friends who have their opinions on careers. So my friend Johnny says, if you find something you like to do and you get paid for it, then it's like you're not working a day in your life. And my other friend Steve works for the fire department. He enjoys helping people out and saving lives. But Steve's premise is he does his job to pay for doing the things he really loves to do, like traveling and going to see his grandkids. So how has it been for you, Lisa, a woman in a technical industry? You know, I really have enjoyed it because all the companies I've worked for are tier one in regards to industry standard. And I have done so much learning and growing, and they really are part of who I am today. I do inside sales. And so being able to have that background and talk to people and feel comfortable talking to people really helped me when I decided to pursue my master's in theology. Um, because I knew I would be working in outreach and dealing with people and having to be just treading in different waters, regardless of who I was speaking to, whether I was speaking in front of an assembly of kids, elementary school, or whether I was uh, pulled aside by a client on a, on a Saturday who needed to uh, pour out their heart and just needed some comfort. So I can tell you that Uh, being exposed to that and being in the industry and dealing with such top level companies that provide so much training internally uh, really has been to my benefit. Did you enjoy growing up in SoCal? Tell me about your family life, Lisa. Yeah, I was raised by a single mom from the probably age 10 until I got married in my early 20s. And it, it had its challenges being raised by a single mom there. Uh, she had her community and, and the people that supported us. At the time, I was being raised as a Jehovah's Witness. So um, that presented its its interesting challenges in growing up, not only um, as a young girl um, in a largely Hispanic area and um, having to deal with the the financial struggles, the um, the challenges that were presented at schools in that type of area, and then just the awkwardness of being a teen and then uh, being raised in that religion at the time. It always amazes me how many people look back in their lives and say, oh, high school or junior high was the best time ever because, man, that was difficult for me at least. Yeah, absolutely. And my heart goes out to especially now in the some of the environments our young people are exposed to, um, again, just being there for them and, and knowing or not knowing what they're going through and just being that cheering section to be that, uh, that mentor to people, to set examples and to show, again, that you're not, you don't have to be a victim of your circumstance or of your social upbringing or even your lived experience that, we can take those things and we can build from there, even in the midst of brokenness. Inspiring words from Lisa Ferrari Harwood. So who are these mentor figures or the ones who spoke life into young Lisa? As a young person, um, definitely my mother. She was always such an example of, again, someone who didn't take no for an answer, but also knew what routes to take many times in navigating through being a single mom, having to work full-time, and raise two daughters at the same time. That's a lot to have on her plate. So are you and your sister close? Yes. Um, I have. Now we're, we're grown. We're in our 50s. 
and I have my um, my niece that actually has moved to Oregon. She got her degree at Northridge College, and she is working with a men's outreach in Portland as well. So I love the fact that our family either has been involved in the medical field, the law enforcement field, or in some sort of helps, some sort of support that goes along with that. It just, it seems to be the thread that runs the commonality through my family. These are great qualities to have and to pass on to the younger generation. So good job, Lisa. Keep up the good work. Thank you. Is there a point in your life where you just know that your faith became your own? Yeah, absolutely. Leaving a cult like Jehovah's Witnesses is very isolating and it can create a lot of depression and anxiety because when you leave, you're, there is ostracization that comes with that and many family and friends that are lost. Um, in my case, it wasn't as many, but I went into what I just call my spiritual darkness for a while and that put me in a place where I actually questioned if God was real. And um, at the time, I was invited to go to a small uh, non-church service that was in a community center because there is that taboo linked with uh, church uh, with Jehovah's Witnesses. So I, my first church that I attended was... Uh, Father's House Ministries, and that was at the time they met out at Mall 205 in a community center. And the pastor at the time, Brian Fowler and his wife, Shannon, they just took myself and my husband under their wing and just treated us like family and had us at our first Christmas that I had had since I was 11 years old. And those things have, have meant so much and again, have just have been my example of what I need to do and who I need to be. Uh, Brian Fowler now, he just took the role of men's ministry director at the Harbor, which is a Portland rescue mission ministry, again, a men's intensive in treatment program that they run there. He has been a pastor at Westside Jesus Church for several years and has planted church and churches in other states. But this is his brand new role. And I'm so excited to see where that takes him because now he and I will be running in the same uh, community together. How wonderful how that all came around that you can continue working with outreach together all these years later, huh? Yes, absolutely. Lisa, you'd mentioned your heart for the youth in particular. I wonder if looking back at this era historically that Young people are going to get a pass for certain things during this pandemic, but there's certainly a lot of mental health issues that we need to try to help them out with. So what would you suggest? A lot of support in the schools. That is where our children are the majority of the time if they're not still doing virtual learning. And again, I feel like whatever support we can offer to those schools, through the districts, through the schools, um, offering solutions, offering things that they might need, again, whether it's a food insecurity, whether it might be an after-school program, whether it might be just something simple as fidget toys, or even support of those teachers that are frontline workers through this, having to navigate through some of the things that uh, the pandemic has presented. I think that that would be, again, one of the first things that I would say to get involved in. And then in church, are we are we passing those teens on the hall 
because we don't know what to say or they might think we're uncool? Or are we, do we know their names? Are we saying hello? Are we stopping just to have a, to show some concern and give a brief word of encouragement, whatever that might be in, in that person's life? That's, I know there's moments in my life that I remember and that were impactful to me. And I think we need to not forget that there is no junior Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is a Holy Spirit. And we need to remember that these kiddos in the kingdom, that they also, they are, they suffer from the same things that we do, but they also have the same hope. They just need that guidance. We need to be that person in, in that young person's life so that they, they know that they're, there can be something different or if they, if that's what they need, or they can continue to build on the foundation, the amazing foundation their parents are always give, already giving them. Sometimes it's just a smile and a hello and a brief conversation that we can do. We shouldn't negate the importance of pushing ourselves and being good stewards of our time. So Lisa, thank you for being transparent with us and sharing about your life history, not all of which was the easiest, and yet look what the Lord has done through you. Absolutely. There were so many things about my lived experience that I decided I wasn't going to be a victim of, that if I was going to see change, I was going to have to be part of that change. And in that was birthed the food pantry, the after-school programs, the outreach. Um, My husband and I are also part of the Beaverton Police Department Victim Advocate Program, where if there is a domestic um, assault or violence that takes place, that um, officers will call on us and another more a, a, a small pool of people that have been trained and are utilized by the Beaverton Police Department to go out and actually provide victim assistance to people again, right after something has happened in their life. And they need that person that they, that can bridge the gap between law enforcement and citizens and be there just as support for that individual to provide not only resources and sometimes exit or safety plans, but just that person that can, can be there to validate and, to, to be there as support in that moment in their life. That's wonderful, Lisa. So how did you and your husband fall into victim assistance through the Beaverton Police Department? I've been connected through other organizations, through emergency management and through uh, Beaverton volunteering in the past. And my husband, Paul, and I, we got married five years ago on the 4th of July, so our anniversary is coming up. But my lived experience came from some domestic violence and my husband was raised in South Africa during apartheid and also experienced things from not only his family, but law enforcement in that country that impacted him. And as a black man raising black children in the United States, he also saw things and felt certain ways about law enforcement based on lived experience here. So when I saw the on social media again, which um, can be an amazing tool if it's used correctly, we saw that the Beaverton police was asking hiring volunteers to come in and be part of this program. And we sat down and we talked about it and we prayed about it. And I said, I just feel like that, 
based on your lived experience, you would provide such an amazing perspective as a black Christian man in this program. I, I feel like this is something that God has called us to and would be so natural for us to fit into. And the Beaverton police hired us both through interview and again, has been such a great experience because we're trained on trauma and dealing with emotional and and mental trauma. And again, that just fits so perfectly in the rest of my puzzle that it has increased and just substantially added so much value to what I'm already doing. After all these ministries and outreaches you've worked with over the years, Lisa, is it a special different dynamic working alongside your husband, Paul? Absolutely. To have that person side by side with you working in that ministry is invaluable because we are human and we have compassion fatigue in this ministry, just like any other frontline worker would have. And to be able to turn to that person next to you and say, hey, you know what? I'm having a bad day. I don't, or I don't understand this. Or there are so many questions left without answers. To be able to have that rock in my life, that person who is Christian, who is solid in his foundation, who knows the word, um, to be able not only to pick up the large boxes that we have to pick up when we pick up our donations from QFC, that is an amazing partner in what we do, but to be able to pick me up spiritually and emotionally from that point and vice versa for me, again, to be able to speak life into a situation, it's, it's priceless. I, I look back and I don't know how I did it without him. What a great couple you two are. I'm so glad that God put you together. So good for you, Lisa. Thank you. With all the people I speak with working in outreaches and ministries, sometimes there's a great potential for burnout. So what do you and Paul do to turn things off and just be a happy married couple? What do you do on a free weekend? We spend time with with friends. Uh, we have family. We have our four-year, well, our granddaughter who's turning four next week. So we'll be spending time with her. Um, we do enjoy uh, travel, and we hope to be back in South Africa next year. And we do realize, and we do recognize, and we have a great support group around us that slows us down and points out to us, and again, each other to take that moment, to take that time, and to obviously sit in church together. We're in ministry together. We now work both work at home together. Um, but yeah, we are. We make sure that we're not dragging any emotional baggage, bitterness, or anything else into our ministry. And so that care component is so important. And I would have to encourage anyone that whatever it looks like to unplug, as hard as it may be, to unplug and just sit and just be still and spend that time and open communication, super important, even if it's saying hard things or hearing hard things, obviously laced with you know truth and love is invaluable in, in our marriage. Not all missionaries go overseas. Sometimes you could be missional at work or in your community, or at your church. And Lisa Ferrari Harwood, you are certainly a wonderful example of that. So thanks again for all that you're doing. And on our way out, is there anyone you're going to say hi to or send a shout out to? Just my amazing staff, especially my cooks. 
I have Vivian, Tina, and Marlene to thank for making me look so amazing. They are the ones that prepare those meals for 100 people that we pack up and distribute 95% of the time. And they're there for me on in the mornings. We cook a hot breakfast at our pantry. And my, my senior pastors at True Life, uh, Dr. Fred and Betty Kaysen, that always support the ministries, that they... Um, they have their calling and in ministry and we maintain the same heart in ministry as ministry. And when you're called, you don't always know what that's going to look like, but in ministry, you answer that call, especially when it's uncomfortable to get out of that comfort zone. So just all of those people that step out of their comfort zone that provide their time, talent and treasures to make what we do so much easier and so amazing and being able to touch so many people, um, whatever walk of life that might come in our path. I'll leave all the pertinent links on the Difference Makers page at truetalk800.com, including the washingmachineproject.org, tlfchurch.com, and pdxsaintslove.org. Thank you so much for all that you're doing, Lisa Ferrari Harwood. Please come on and join me again for another interview sometime. I would love to. Thank you for having me again. Truly a pleasure. And thank you for listening to Difference Makers. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.